Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the games beyond Baldur's Gate. This is episode 55, and we're playing Torment, colon, Tides of Numenera. I'm Cameron. And I'm Danny, and I play Balthazar. <laughs> yeah, because we, we uh, <laughs> just to jump right into it, right? Um, mm-hmm. We said a little bit about it last episode. This is our second episode in Tides of Numenera playing that game mm-hmm. and uh last episode we said a little bit about our character builds mm-hmm. briefly i have stacked uh basically intelligence the equivalent of intelligence you have stacked my people up might mm-hmm. might and i think the only non-combat skill i have is intimidate intimidate not a combat skill i guess does yeah. it tra- does it uh, does it come off of um, might though? Is that the the one that you use to power it? Mm, I believe so. When it comes up, it probably doesn't come up all that often. None, it, of, none of those extra skills come up too too much. It's interesting. It did come up for me this session. Ooh, yeah. Oh gosh. Um, so in, in this episode, in case you're playing along, so we did basically. Well. We played up to when you find a special someone, and we'll talk about who that is, but we, we basically played the Sagus Cliffs region, and then the Underbelly region. Um, this episode, you know, or not this episode, but this uh, season slash this game is a little bit weirder to plot out for us, because there's not, I mean, I guess there are chapters to this game, but they're big. And so you can't go chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. There's not really like big transition points, um, you know, of, of like jumping from uh, universe to universe or whatever. Um, so it's kind of arbitrary when we decide to stop, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to say, I, I think this whole game has been a real transition uh, for me personally. I've, I've found it quite difficult to like to get into this game, to get in the right headspace to, to like work this game. Um hmm. It feels very different from anything that we've played before. Uh, and Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's the stat pools. It okay. changes the way in which you... It's, it's, it's like managing that resource really changes the way you interact with the game. Um, Absolutely. And we're going to get into this more. But So at the end of last episode, you mm-hmm. went further than I did. Because I did not get in a fight or, like, interact with those people who were, like, trying to figure out what the deal was. Oh, yes, yes. So just remind Mm -hmm. people in case it's been... Because we took a week off. That's right. So the last episode, uh, kind of the end of what happened, we go through this tutorial where we create our character, more or less, and we slam the hell into the world. Right. Yeah. And and it yep. turns out we were in our little resonance chamber, and we got to fix that resonance chamber. We don't really know what we are, but there are these two figures, uh, 
whose names escape me now. You remember those two folks? Callistica, mm-hmm. uh, who is in my party now, and the other person. Yeah, and the other guy. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of like don't really get along, but they join you. And when you leave, and I thought, oh, when I meet these two people, that's my that's my cue to stop. But mm. when you leave that area and you you like progress towards the Sage's Cliffs, there are these kind of three, back, you know, three kind of thiever, thievery, nefarious type folks. Yep. And, and they're trying to intercept you. And so I just said, I'm going to murder you. Like, that's how they, I they, responded to that. Because they see, uh, they like saw a falling star. Exactly. And so they're coming to see what's up. You know, is this technology? Uh, a moon blew up, so that might be important. All mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, there's they, all kinds of ways the conversation can go. And I think that. when you did it, how did you inter- interact with them? I uh, kind of like tricked them. Or, or no, I lied. I was like, uh, I saw the fallen star fall over there. So at that point, a crisis is initiated. And this mm-hmm. is my first exposure to like how this works. Which, have you been in a crisis yet? You probably were in, like, one crisis during this session, right? Yeah. 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 There, there are a couple opportunities for it to happen, and I remembered where one was, and I avoided it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, like, I, you know, I remember parts of this game from when I played it before. Uh, but, yeah, certainly when we get, you know, not to spoil anything. I don't know why we would be concerned about spoilers, I guess, for this episode that you're listening to. But, yeah, when we get later to, like, the tomb of the yes. changing god or whatever it was called, that I had a crisis there. Okay, so basically what a crisis is, is it's an old school, like, D&D style or, like, if you're familiar with, like, if you've ever played the Temple of Elemental Evil, which used, mm-hmm. like, the, the 3.5 uh, third edition engine, um, initiative. So everything is turn-based, right? So you'll, there's kind of a track along the top of the screen about whose turn it is to go. And when it's a character's turn, they can move and do an action, right? And it's just straight up combat like that. Not grid-based, because it's kind of in this in this two-dimensional uh, in plane that allows you to to go any number of vectors, but it's that. So it was a little disorienting. This is a huge first for us as far as mechanically, right? Yeah, I guess that's a really good point. I think we talked about it a little bit last episode, but yeah, this is the first. This is an isometric game, and it carries the whole legacy of the isometric games we've been right. playing, right? I mean, it, it shares some of the. Uh, writing staff, it shares some of the gameplay designers, all that kind of stuff. It, it shares the Pillars of Eternity engine, right, which is developed in order to emulate um, uh, Baldur's Gate style combat stuff, but this is not pause and play. This is 100% deterministic um, uh, turn-based, which is interesting because uh, you know I think that a lot of combat encounter both frustration and uh, excellency <laughs> for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, that we've really embraced before had a lot to do with the pause and play kind of stuff. So like Balthazar during Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 just really abusing haste and things like that. To, sure. To, you know, just completely wear down other enemies before, uh, or not other enemies, but wear down enemies before they could do anything to him. Because when, like, you got to remember all of those things have to do with this concept called an action economy. Yes. Right? Yep. An action economy. Now, you got to remember that Balthazar circa Baldur's Gate 1, 
is a character that could have been made in second edition, right? Yes. And that with effects and spells and, you know, items that can cast spells like haste and improved haste, what that did in second edition was, oh, it's Balthazar's turn, right? Mm -hmm. So there's still turns back then, but, oh, Balthazar just gets three to five attacks, right? Oh, and then now it's the ogre's turn, and the ogre gets one attack. And when you, like, extrapolate that onto a pseudo-real-time engine, um, you know, it, it's almost as if the, that haste and it's, and it's that action economy is even more warped because I can, like, run away at any time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it becomes about turning partitions of a turn into sections of time. Of, yes. of real time, and that it, when you start inter, it, interrupting that in any given way, right? Whether that's with like item usage or whatever, that really does start messing with the way that action economy works. Mm-hmm. And what we see now is a is almost despite the fact that this game is one of the newest games we will play in this mm-hmm. entire series. This is a return to the roots of how this actually works out on a tabletop and yeah given like modern and i'm just making an assumption here but i guarantee you i'm right given kind of modern design sensibilities this is going to be infinitely more difficult to break right they are not that like we know things about the action economy now like there's probably no like spell that gives oh you get five actions this turn yeah, I think there's way less of that for mm-hmm. sure in order to discourage you from breaking it in that way. Yeah. I think there's some of that, but yeah, I mean, part of that too, just to give some context and people who listen to all of, you know, the previous Mages of Murder Dads might be aware of this stuff, but, you know, part of that, uh, that kind of, you know, give five extra actions uh, or five extra attacks in the turn, things like that, comes from the kind of mechanical excellence of the wizard over anyone else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in classic D&D. So, like, wizards are just more powerful, like, by their very nature of existing. Um, And so when you add wizard stuff, like magic and magical items, to classes that, uh, in the course of D&D, had to compete with wizardry, like barbarians, you end up with this mix of, um, I don't know, like, uh, actions that make up for not being a wizard, and then actual wizard stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like a barbarian with improved haste on it is the best of two worlds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that only comes into being in D&D because of this kind of legacy system. Tides of Numenera, by its very nature of not being a legacy D&D system, maybe starts trying to solve some of those problems because it can. Yeah, we have to you know take into account not only a new video game, also a new video game based on a completely different role-playing system made by someone who has experience with D&D but decided to do their own thing. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I guess that's a long way to say the crisis system in this game, which we have to talk about it at some point, uh, is, it, it is that. It's this old-school turn-based runaround, so kind of my, my character, the, you know, the last cast-off, but here you know here forwith referred to as balthazar mm-hmm. um you know runs around hits things and uh and has a mighty fine time the other members of the party can do things like teleport or or do fiddles which mm-hmm. i can't believe that's a real term in this game still 
Um, Fettles. Fettles. I don't. I think it's fiddle. I think it's the e is pronounced with a. a, a. Oh, that that might be true, but spelled fiddles. <laughs> uh, Did I get you mixed sure, up? Just to make sure that people aren't, uh, you know, thinking of a, a devil went down the Georgia situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so they all end up dead, and that's how uh, Balthazar. So one Im- other important note before we actually move to the content of this episode. Shortly after that, uh, Callistiga and that other fellow have an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told them both to beat it. Oh. Get out of here. Balthazar's on his own. Okay. Are you going to try to Balthazar on his own this whole thing? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you you are missing out on some very cool NPCs, but I can uh, I can fill you in. Okay. As we go. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I can't get them all. Because you can only have four, I think. Oh, four, four in the party total? I believe so. I think it's only four. Because my party at the end of this episode is uh, me. Mm-hmm. Ren. I Callistica. ran into Ren. Okay, Callistica. And someone else, but I don't remember who the other one is. Okay. Oh, well. But anyway, I'll look in a minute <laughs> to figure it out. But yeah. Oh, and and Matt Kenna, I think. Oh no, it's not. It is. Uh, uh, gosh, I'll figure out his name in just a second. But, okay. But anyway, so but how did you feel about the federal system, or not federal system, but the um, uh, the crisis mode? It's certainly it is more time intensive than just swinging around with sticks. Even if you even if you are successful on the first go, which I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Um, it's almost faster just to like do it the Baldur's Gate one style and just have to reload two times than it is to play out the full crisis. Yes. It is a more measured, uh, it is a more measured like deliberate system, which I think fits with an overall aesthetic, which took me time to get used to in terms of these are you know getting into a crisis is something inherently you should probably want to avoid. Yeah. It They're is, dangerous. It drags the pace of the game down to molasses. Absolute. Like, you know, those uh, those little, uh, I don't know, like the, the Werther original, you mm-hmm. know, like imagine those stored in like a very hot, like 1983 Cadillac in the sun, right? Mm-hmm. Just a giant piece of steel, just a big steel oven. And they're just like in the cup holder, and they've all run ran together about that speed. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I like the within that system. I think the action economy is good in the sense of it is uh, robust enough to allow for a lot of different things. Because it's basically just the the um, like D and D fourth edition thing. Yeah. So there's like minor action, major action, and then move. And then mm-hmm. you can replace your move with doing additional stuff. Or mm-hmm. you can double move and not have another action. Yeah. Uh, very, like, simple and t- tried and true kind of stuff, but also incredibly, like, by itself, no matter what the action is you are taking, it is time-consuming just to run through everyone having that kind of set of operations. Yes, and, and it was overwhelming to get into that thing. And I tried to kick those two people out of my party before the crisis initiated, but they did not <laughs> let me. Mm-hmm. And then the crisis initiates, and and like 
a tooltip comes up and it's like, Callistica has a power to warp as using her movement. She can teleport. And then after she teleports, she gets bonuses. And then like the other person's like, oh, he has to do like he activates his tattoos. And if you chain together certain actions, they're more powerful over time. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy smokes, this is a this is a lot. It is. It's a lot of it's a game that assumes. And I think, you know, I, I've reviewed several of these like um with this game and then um, uh, Pillars of, of Eternity. Eternity. Yeah. And in both of those, it's like, these are games that are built for as nostalgia engines, right? They are trying to capture something that you enjoyed uh, about Planescape Torment or Baldur's Gate. And they are really, really speaking to the people who are already enfranchised. Um, like, this game assumes that you care about really digging deep in these systems, and I care about it in the sense of I want to play the game, so I have to learn how to care about it, mm-hmm. but this is not where I want to be spending my time and effort, is, like, learning depth systems of tattoo combos. Mm. No, I mean, so that, I that's one of the reasons why I kick those people out of the party, because you know what Balthazar does? He goes up to some to attack somebody and, and spends all the might he can on swinging at them. So say a little bit about that part of it. Yes. Yeah, so when so we got into it a little bit. So I have these pools of stats, and almost all of my stats are in my might pool, right? Mm-hmm. And we're gonna get a little bit <laughs> into this. I feel like I have to talk about what your options are when you level up um, yeah. to like actually explain this. So imagine I've got a might pool of seven. So I can Mm -hmm. spend seven points of might before I rest, before my might pool is depleted. And when I go to attack someone, it might say, oh, you've got a uh, 50% chance of hitting somebody by, you know, spending only one might. But you can spend three might and you're up to like 85 to 90% and you do Mm -hmm. more damage. And Uh, and just to remind people, the three stats in this game are might, speed, and intellect. Yes. So melee attacks, 99% of the time, it seems, are might. Yes. Psychic attacks or something like that, you know, in the way that you might in D and D roll a ranged, you know, a ranged touch attack. Hello, hello. Mm. That might be like an intellect, and firing an arrow or shooting a gun or something would be speed. Just to to orient people here. Yeah. So there are there are three aspects of these pools that can be altered or changed or upgraded. Right. Mm-hmm. One is the overall size. So, like, like I said, I have a very large might pool at the beginning. I think it's like seven total might just mm-hmm. in that pool. The second is the threshold of how simple or complex an activity you're trying to accomplish that you can accomplish without spending anything, mm-hmm. right? This is kind of like the D&D version of taking a 10, yeah, right? Raising the floor. Raising the floor high enough so that you can just automatically do some things. Yeah, so you get a 60% chance to hit every time, no matter what. And then the last one is how many on any given activity, how much of your pool can you spend? So I have seven might, but the most I can ever spend on any one activity is three. Of course. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Raising there we are. The yeah, so that would be raising, well, raising the ceiling of how much you can spend. Um, because it's like, if you have, you could have 50 might, but if the only thing that like, it doesn't, that's not going to do you too much good. That's going to be like an endurance, a marathon thing. Whereas raising the ceiling of how much you can spend is the sprint, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so those are the aspects that can change. So right now, Balthazar, um, right after he left the residence chamber area, like turned right, and there was this big writhing bush of like grabby hands. Mm-hmm. And I snapped one off, and now I have like a, a mace a grab that's got a grabby hand that deals poison damage. Okay. And uh, I just like hit the tar out of people with that. <laughs> it's just like a real like I picked up a great sword, but actually the uh, it's interesting because weapons will have oh well how much additional damage will this do if you spend you know additional pips on it right yeah like so in the case of a melee weapon okay. like okay for every might you spend what's the maximum you can and the grabby hand just has way a way higher ceiling so mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just really swinging with the fences with my grabby hand. Gotta get that grabby hand. You you absolutely that's the number one thing they teach you in Balthazar school. And so you can when you level up you can do those things to your stat pool and then there's all kinds of like additional auxiliary things that you like can do. increasing skill pips. Yeah, exactly. Or mm-hmm. getting new skills. So for example, you have like intimidation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have I think I talked about it last time, but I have read thoughts, which is just I straight up can read the thoughts of everyone I talk to. Yes. And it gives me like a sentence of, of what they're thinking and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so my party, just for people who are concerned, because we're not really going to talk about party members too much in this episode, because not a lot happens, but I have Callistica, Aridus, and Rin. Um, and Aridus is one of the coolest NPCs in all of video games, I think. Oh, wow. He's very cool. Uh, but we'll talk about why later. But uh, what was the first uh, quest you did? Yeah, so basically, I'm trying to figure out what the deal with this residence chamber is, and the only like lead I have after kicking those those jokers out of my party is that there's this cult mm-hmm. of the changing god around. Mm-hmm. At this point, I don't really know who or what I am. What's the most we know about who or what we are at this point? Uh, I don't think you know. I mean, you know that you're a cast-off of the changing god. Yes, but I guess Callistica said that. Yeah. Because that's what they do. They, they kind of study you. And they both have different ways of going about it. But do you know what that means? Not really. We, we kind of get that in the content of this episode. Yeah, so I go into the Sage's Cliffs, and the first thing I see is somebody's, like, on a trial or, like, being punished. Did mm-hmm. you see this? I did see it. Did not investigate. You didn't investigate that? That was the... There, did you see that big old squid monster in the in the beaker, in like the big yeah, glass like an cage? Yeah, basically. Yeah, so I talked to some people, and I guess they're gonna like feed this person's thoughts to this thing. Mm-hmm. It seemed real, real bad. Yeah, but eventually I walk over to this giant clock, mm-hmm. and yes. uh, and uh, there, it's it's this is the cult of the changing gun. They're like, hey, my my clock's broke. Did you help them fix their clock? Yeah, I did help them fix their clock because, I mean, they're concerned about the the clock because the changing god made it. Sure. And And there's a big discussion about, like, they immediately recognize you as a Mm cast-off. And there's a point where you can lie and say, oh, I'm definitely the changing god, Um, y'all. Uh-huh. Or actually, I, I don't even. Did you? Did you? Did you try that? Let's go. In one load, so like I, I had to reload because of something, and I did say <laughs> that. And the reason why I said that is, I it didn't even have like in parentheses lie next to it, right? Uh-huh. It just said, "Oh, I am the changing god." And I was like, "Oh, is this like a dungeon world esque? Like we're making our own situation here, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. I just am the god." Um, oh, I see. That that by making that statement, you make it true. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I don't um, think that happens. Spout lore, yo. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that did not work out. If you do say that, you're going to, in, like, when you do the next step of the quest, one of the guys will be like, oh, you definitely were lying because, you know, the guy, it wouldn't work this way if you were yeah. changing God. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, the other option is I am the most recent cast-off. So the last cast-off means it's last in that I don't necessarily know at this point that we know that we are the final cast-off, but we know that we are the most recent cast-off. Is that accurate? Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I think we are the most recent cast-off. Yeah. Um, I think that's factual. So there's kind of a little puzzle you can do where you, you're you trying to fix this clock. They they kind of tell you, hey, we'll help you, but you got to fix this clock first. And you got to go to each one of these nodes attached to the clock and basically like lock in a memory a la the tutorial you see these like memories of things that have happened and if you mm-hmm. like associate a memory with each of the nodes you kind of kick start the clock and then i went over to the clock and it was still like acting up so i just smashed it so i just smashed the tar out of it and then uh, then darkness fell upon the world oh okay i didn't do that i didn't smash the clock yeah, I smashed it. I, it I was it was like it. the fawns, <laughs> and it, it just made it work again. Well, I don't uh, know if it made it work, but like the something darkness happened. darkness fell upon Sage's Cliffs. Yeah. Like a so little... did you get a sense of like what? So each one of those nodes is like a different moment in time. Yes. So in this the, location, and the issue, like the reason why this clock is quote unquote broken, is because it is scattered in time. Yes. Right. It is, it is not all in one place. It's not synced up. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe it's phasing in and out over here, and, or not over here, like when here, right? Yeah. <laughs> then there. Uh, and we got to, like, resync it up. So I just smashed the tar out of it and got it synced back up. <laughs> just okay. took, my, well, yeah. took my grabby hand stick and pulled it back to the present. Well, what, what happened when you did that? So, yeah, uh, the, so... There's this little dialogue about how it's almost as if the sun set instantly, but strangely light was still emanating or, like, reflecting off of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two uh, representatives of the Cult of the Changing Gods said, oh, man, that that's kind of... <laughs> I, think they, I think one of them said that's pretty... Uh, just you know discomforting basically they were yeah. like I, I don't know if we like that but i guess if that's got to happen it's got to happen um mm-hmm. but they said oh it's still not fixed and you've got to and basically i have to like i have to go up and touch it and like to initiate the next part of this problem how did you fix it if you didn't smash it i just oriented all those things in time mm-hmm so I just went to each of the nodes, and, and each one has, like, a feeling associated with it, and then yeah. there's, like, a story, and I just align those stories with those feelings. Oh, maybe I didn't align them correctly. Maybe yeah, I just, like, them. randomly associated, and then when it didn't work, I smashed it. No. Yeah, you gotta... And if you talk to people around, so if you talk to the Cult of the Changing God a little bit, and you remember those memories that you went through during the tutorial... And mm-hmm. if you talk to this other character called the Genocide, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Oh, my God. If you, if you talk to all of them, it gives you a sense of, like, what kind of things were happening in the times that the stories are about. Mm-hmm. And you can associate them correctly. I, I did it wrong the first time. And it, like, all turned off again. Very mm. Planescape tormenty, And so I reconfigured it. And, and okay. It. 
And so, yeah, and then I got, like, sucked into my own brain. Did this happen to you? Yes. So after I smashed it and I went up and, and touched it after it was kind of all synced back, basically Planescape, Torment, uh, Circa, I don't know, probably three, three-fourths of the way through. Remember when we got sucked into... Uh, Sucked into, like, a, a pocket plane with three of our former selves. Yeah, that was literally in the last ten minutes of the game. <laughs> no, that's yes. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah oh, yeah. well, there's there was also a section where we got, like, trapped. There was mm-hmm. there was a trap. I don't think that you uh, played that, but that was in the hotel. Mm, uh, yeah, I didn't. I don't think I did that. Um, but, yeah. So, very reminiscent. We get zapped into a place. You can tell it's kind of in our head because it's got the same aesthetic of the tutorial. And there are three other what we find to be castoffs there. Are they castoffs? At I least believe one so. Of them is a ca- at least one of them is a castoff. Oh. But yeah, so these are people that when this clock was made, I, I really like this storytelling. Mm-hmm. So when the clock was made, and the when the changing god made it, he was a nano, like a very powerful nano, which is like a wizard in this world. Mm-hmm. And so he makes this clock in order to fight off the invaders who were invading the, the city, Sage's Cliffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the genocide was a member of them. Yeah, so so he's a, we get the other side of the story from him, and uh, you know, depending on when you talk to him. Um, but while that's happening. There are basically people who don't believe. They believe in the changing god, but, like, not enough. They're, they're adherents who go to betray him. Um, and they just thought his time was up, basically. They thought yeah. maybe they could do a better job of leading. Yeah, exactly. And he, yes. like, Jesus-style, cast them into a clock. And then <laughs> G-coupled that clock from time. Yeah, it's <laughs> rad like as the, hell. It is. It is rad as but, hell. So when we touch the clock after it's been resynced, they don't come back. They just get zapped into our brain. Yes. Um, and they are all cast-offs because there is a, another portion where you can ask later about what the deal with them was. And they were like, oh, they were once all loyal servants, you know, as cast-offs. And they betrayed, you know, mm. their originator. Right, which I, we're slowly piece by morsel by morsel understanding our own metaphysics and ontology as a cast off. Right? Yeah, there's a real. I mean, you can see how. And I think I alluded to this last time, or maybe at the end of the uh, Planescape Torment uh, last video. But there's a way that this game keeps the kind of storytelling that Planescape Torment does and solves the problem of Planescape Torment. Okay, what do you mean by that? Meaning that it all of these big important people are you, but it's not you. Does that make sense? I so, like, understand. So the problem you're pointing to with Planescape Torment is the fact that there is this entity, the nameless one, this one individual that cannot die, and you'll be running around the world, and people will be like, oh, snap, you were totally here however long ago, and you were this major figure in, in yeah. this area. Um, whereas this, we are, yeah, it is the same force, but not this necessarily the same specific entity, because we're all based, it's very, like, reincarnating, right? Like, we are, yeah. we are reincarnations, or we are these cast-off vestiges 
of this changing God. So there's way less, um, there's way less intentionality and kind of accountability given to each individual cast off because it's kind of understood. Oh yeah, you you were just the face at war exactly. for a while. Exactly. And so like it, it gets rid of these questions of like, well, if I'm the person who did all of this stuff, then why does no one recognize me? Or no, why does no one know it's me? Or why, why are there no images of me? Or the other side, everyone knows who I am and they're all lying to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like, you know, say the way that Farad's story kind of plays out in Planescape Torment. Yeah. In this, it's like, oh, you've got a big tattoo on your face. You're probably a cast off. You might not be. You know, that's an open question. We can talk mm-hmm. about it. It might not be on your face every time. Um, or you might be someone who's pretending to be a cast off for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's more of like you're you are a part of a big structure rather than an individual who does stuff. It just seems to like even a lot of things out for me. Yeah, no, I I, I get that definitely. But I do think I do really like the. Uh, it's a slow drip. It's a real Mister Coffee situation mm-hmm. in terms of the the revelation not the revelation that that implies like a big a big event but just like the slow filling in of what we are and it makes me really attentive to the dialogue right because i i I feel like as a player that i want to that i want to figure this thing out that it feels like everybody else in the in the game knows yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, in my game, uh, I was just like, yeah, I guess you're stuck in my brain now. And they, (laughs) and literally someone, one of them was like, well, we've been stuck in that clock for forever. So yeah, it's totally cool. Um, but in order to get out, I've got to, uh, I've got to find the answer within me that was there all along. What can change the nature of a man? Um, so basically we run through there like, yeah, the only way to get for you to get out is you must find something innate within you. Uh, and then channel that in order to like create some kind of portal out of here. Hmm. And I give a few examples, and they're like, "Well, that's not really innate about you. The, the you know the changing God could have, you know, you could have that could have been a choice, or maybe maybe you did that because of your innate thing." And they give me three options, and I'm not in, I'm not a hundred percent satisfied with the three options they gave. I'm sure that the three options point to ways in which you're supposed to play this game. Mm-hmm. Um. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't mesh well. The first was stealth. There was like stealthiness, mm-hmm. tankiness, and talkiness. Mm-hmm. Those are the three. What did you choose? I probably chose talkiness. I don't you exactly cho- remember this choice, but I probably chose talkiness. Is and this isn't a thing you have to sacrifice, right? This is just like a way of bringing something out from within yourself yeah they they, you you had to choose one of these and there was a little screen that came up and you chose one of the three and it showed you what like abilities you would get when you chose this that's Mm -hmm. right i've definitely chose talkiness so yeah i was thinking about the tankiness but the thing is the tankiness is like super defensive Mm. uh i i also chose talkiness because that actually is relevant for my intimidation skill oh yeah yeah okay so uh, we're both that, at least, and also I just foresee, especially given my experiences with the combat, it's it would be nice for me to have like a way to a way to not do that every time if yeah, it's if still, it's like character appropriate. Yeah, to still be in character and yet not having to to fight everyone with your mace. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the, so so you do this, you come out. It's very funny, too, because you're, like, inside person, you know, your hologram brain person that you talk to. Is Deckard like, Kane. <laughs> it's really, like, your own Deckard Kane. Everyone has a little homunculus inside their brain that if they ever get zapped into their brain, that's just a little Deckard Kane in a robe. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just love that you talked to him. It was like, you're like, how do you get out? And he was like, well, probably the same way you got out before. I don't know. <laughs> Figure it <laughs> out. I'm not you can leaving. you can talk to him sometimes, and he'll be and you'll be like, what's new around here? He's like, it's your brain, dude. I don't know. <laughs> I Look don't around. Know. Yeah, it's all you. But yeah, I think uh, I mean I know from playing this before that this like in, inside brain space fills out even more. You know, more entities end up in here and so mm. I'm curious about going back and talking to say those betrayers and seeing what they have to say later in the game which I don't think I did the first time I played but yeah. after this whole thing you uh, you come out and the cult of the changing god is so happy that you did this that they tell you about another cast off that might help you fix the resonance chamber mm-hmm. and her name is Matt Kenya she's the white death I think the white her. death kind of an assassin yeah um and so that's kind of the big payoff for this section of the game is trying to figure out how to find Matkina, which isn't super hard, but then getting there, which is super hard. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about that, there's like two other, this is the Sagus Cliffs region, and there's like mm-hmm. two other big storyline things that happen here. Um, the first being the genocide. So let's talk about that really quick very cool dude who who speaks and there's like a big echoey voice and like a giant helmet and when you first talk to him he kind of mentions i'm required to answer all your questions so i talked to him a while and he's basically just frozen here and his punishment that was inflicted on him by the changing god is that he must just chill out here he is the member of a failed invasion, like an invading force attempted to come here, and he was captured. And he has to basically be a sentient, like, memorial that answers questions about this stuff uh, and, and, and chills out. Yeah. And so, yeah. So it's related to the clock. So mm-hmm. at some point, so... so the genocide is part of this group called the Black Three, and I didn't write down the other two names, but they, they're basically this, like, interplanetary slash planar, it's kind of unclear, um, like, metaphysical attack force. And they saw the Earth one day, and they're like, we gotta get in on that. They do, and they have these dead gods that they worship, mm-hmm. who, like, still communicate with them somehow. The Underspine. Yeah, did you ask? Did you did you read what he said when you like asked about what is the underspine? I do, but I don't remember this. Oh my god, it's so good! I played this yesterday, and it was like, oh, so good. It's like the underspine is stone. The underspine is death. The under like it's just like a list of these things that are all like contradictory. But the under like one way to interpret it is that the underspine could just be like a code of conduct that they all that they all like swear fealty to which is basically when you like get down to it just pure will to power yes like 100%. they are they are pure interplanar like fascists the only truth that exists is that which percolates to reality through conquest yes um and so yeah he gives you this whole big like structure of how that works um but yeah the the changing god defeats the siege by by the black three 
with the clock. And the way he does it is that while the siege is happening uh, from from the underspine, right, the, from the, the these three big generals, the Black Three, they have logistics lines that are coming from, you know, their previous conquests or whatever. And so the Changing God breaks the city in time in order to break the lines of logistics and supply. Mm. And so it by unhinging the genocide from time, it, there's no way they, they can be reinforced. And so uh, and the implication being that by doing that, the Changing God changes the conditions of if a siege could happen or not. And that happens again later in this episode. Well, yeah, where, like causality gets broken, right? Exactly. Like there were exactly. certain, there were certain, uh, and we kind of end the episode on, on a little mention of this, but there were certain preconditions that had to be met to even start the siege. And when you fiddle with the past, right, uh, you, you, you ruin time in a way that makes the siege impossible. Yes, and, and and this is the kind of very because uh, this is a Monty Cook story yeah. or a uh, 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 setting, right? This is a very like Monty Cook kind of thing, right? Where it's like there might be some explanation of how this works, and I'm sure in the source books there is like an exacting explanation of how this works. But basically, this is just like just go with it. Like yeah. this is some like edge of of human thought, conceptual weirdness that you should just accept and get on with your life. But all cool. of all of this being said, that's not even my favorite part about the genocide. My favorite part is he has kind of like come around and he's like, actually, I'm winning. Did you did you talk to him about that? <laughs> I did not. I did yeah. Not so so part. he's like he so of the black three, he was uh, foretold by this kind of prophet in his culture that uh, he would kind of like he would exist until there was nothing to conquer in the universe. Mm-hmm. And he is going to be stuck here until the end of time, um, which means, and this is what he tells himself, he is going to see the end of humanity. Like, he will uh, see the end of Earth. So he has, like, he's perfectly happy with this situation because he's like, yeah, I'm going to win. I'm the genocide. I will be here until it's over. That's cool. That's cool writing. <laughs> it's good writing. Like this is when, and I was there was a lot of disorientation when I first started this game, and I was like, oh my god, there's it's so big. You can go to like five areas immediately, right? You you kind yeah. of are flung into a into like Baldur's Gate itself here with the city. And when I like actually settled down, I was like, okay, I'm gonna start talking to people in this first area. And I talked to the genocide. I was like, oh, this is good. This is like very. It's it's like lighten up the parts of my brain that really enjoyed the Planescape Torment characters and dialogue. Yes. Um, and so the other big story here. Well, th- mm-hmm. there's one like micro story. Did you talk to Jerem and all that stuff? I did not talk to Jerem. Um, so we'll save Jerem because th- th- it's part of a longer quest and this is just the beginning. But just to say that Jerem is a child from a different part of time who who was like in extreme poverty and his parents in order to save his life to keep him from, you know, dying of starvation, just made him a time orphan hmm. and he tells you the whole story about it he's the child who's like running around and playing but i think ah. there's more to that so we can we'll do the whole quest and then we'll talk about it later but the other major one is toll maguar um magar i don't know how you say her name sure but she is a slaver bad well what does balthazar think about slavery balthazar's against slavery because mm-hmm. you know what balthazar's against updated my journal. Mm, I don't know. 
probably has something to do with being told what to do. Yeah, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like people telling people specifically Balthazar what to do. Mm. So that's a, that's like basically that, that slavery is just a very complicated version of that, mm-hmm. or simple. It's, it's I think it's the simplest. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the simplest, simplest form <laughs> of being told what to do. So. No, I never even ran into Tol Maguire. I did run into two slavers at the edge of the map whose name was Slavers. I could not figure out how to attack them. Wait, so you didn't do any of the Tol Maguire quest? No, I didn't see Tol Maguire, but I did oh. find the person that Tol Maguire was looking for. Oh, so you yeah. did that first? Yes. Whoa, weird. Okay, so if you talk to Tol Maguire, um, she basically says, look, I'm a slaver. But slavery is a punishment. Like, it is accepted because one is not, like, born into slavery. One is punished to slavery. Real Which 13th is, like, Amendment stuff here. Yeah, it's it's like a real screwed up mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, justification. So she says, I'm looking for my ward, Rin, um, who's like a child. And mm-hmm. she's like, if you tell me uh, where Rin is, I'll like show you how to do some cast off stuff because I know cast off stuff because I'm a cast off. But don't mm. tell anybody about it. Don't tell. Don't tell nobody that I'm a cast off. And I was like, all right, well I'll find Rin. Whatever, I'll go do that. So you run around and you're doing other quests or whatever, and eventually you can find Rin. You can talk to people and find Rin or whatever, or you can just go to this abandoned house in Cliffside. Yeah, I was just around Cliffside, and I was just, like, clicking on things. Sometimes it would be like, oh, there's some rubble, and I would be like, oh, use my might to move it, and I'd spend some might, move the rubble, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe get some experience, maybe get some shins, Mm -hmm. which is the currency. So tell me about finding rent, then. Yeah, so I clicked on this one thing, and I was like, oh, there's this hole here, and there's this this little person in there, this little little kid, and they're super scared. And I said, hey, what's going on in, in here? And as I've got my head in the hole, like, looking at this person scurrying around, these three people show up. And I and their names, from their names, I know that they're slavers. And they're like, hey, ah, we finally, we finally found this girl. Uh, hey, you, uh, get out of our way because we're going to take this girl. And the girl's like, I don't want to go with them. And I, and I say, you guys need to get the, sh- get the, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what well, I said. Well, did they? Well, this is where some interesting stuff happened. The first thing is I, c- I could do like an intimidate check, mm-hmm. right? So I spent some pips, right? And there's like an 80% chance I could intimidate these people. And it didn't work. Oh, damn. It was like... Burr, 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 burr. And, yeah, and they, they were like, ha, you're, you don't scare us. And then they started to step forward... And then I could like say a different thing, right? After mm-hmm. after they my intimidate failed, um, they offered me a new arrangement. They said, "Hey, how about this? How about I know that you know you don't you don't care about this girl, right? So how about we just give you like thirty shins and you just walk away, mm-hmm. right? Kind of you a partial walk- failure scenario. Yeah, you just walk away. You don't have to deal with it. So I could like." 
take the 30 shins. I could just walk away of my own accord. I could say, I could do like the very noble thing and say, um, no, you're not gonna take her. I could also, there's like a lot of options and I could also just be like, like a little bit meaner. And then the final option was in brackets, reach out, snap his neck. Whoa. And that was a speed check. Mm. Not a so strength I, check. It's just assuming that you have the hand strength. <laughs> I think. I think. Yeah. I can't remember, but it was. It was one of those. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, yes, hell yes, I do that, and that fails. He like easily dodges out of the way. Damn. And then the final one, I have one more chance. There's fewer options, and the final one is like, ah, go to disarm his weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll do that. And I go to disarm his weapon, and he easily dodges me and just impales me on his sword. <laughs> and just murders me. Like, just a straight-up instant death. Like, you failed three checks, you're murdered. That's good. So that's, then I, I get zapped. Design. I get zapped back to my head. Yes. And there's Deckard Kane there, and he's like, yeah, you must have fucked up there, buddy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he's like, Stay and he shows me the door. <laughs> he shows me the door. And I just get zapped right back into my dead body. And when I rise from the grave, from beyond the grave, all the slavers run away. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> would you, yeah. if you if you killed somebody? If I killed somebody right after they attempted to intimidate me, then attempted to snap my neck, then attempted to disarm me and failed all of those things. <laughs> and then I killed. And I'm like, this is the least competent ghoul ever. But eventually, luck will be on their side, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's your introduction to like yes. the how you keep the death system from Planescape Torment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm Which very happy with it. And then I like just and then Riss like told me a little bit about herself, and I was like, well, good luck. You told her to get the hell out. No, I told her, hey, good luck. Well, yeah, but did you? What? <laughs> did she go away? No, she's hanging out. Is she in your party? No. You did. So you didn't finish this quest line. Well, I didn't finish it because I didn't want her to, to tag along with me. It's dangerous. Well, you also didn't start it, I guess. I didn't start you, it. That's right. You have done the middle third of a quest line. <laughs> uh, I guess so, so. Okay. So all the same stuff happened for me. I didn't go through that whole thing. I think I just successfully mm-hmm. intimidated them. Mm. Um, and then I. So I said, "Listen, we gotta like. You're being hunted. We've got to figure this out. So come back with me to Tol Maguire." I won't, I won't give you back, but we do need to figure it out, right? Because otherwise, these slavers are going to still be looking for you. And so we go back, um, and I'm ready to do a fight. I don't exactly remember how this works. Um, and so I go back, and I'm like, listen, I don't want to... I've got Rin with me, but she's not coming back. Mm-hmm. And then through conversation, we find out that... A, Tolmaguar is a, is a cast-off, which we knew already... Tol Maguire uses Rin. So Rin has some sort of psychic power to absorb tidal bursts. Have you experienced it like a tidal burst yet? I don't. So are those when I make certain decisions and they're like, oh, your red tide has increased. Is there is this yeah, so a different th- thing? No, no. So that's like the tides. And it basically is like alignment. Yes. Okay. Like, what? what is the shape of this timeline that you are in based mm. on the choices that you're making? And so sometimes, based on 
conditions, whatever, you have these things that are like a tidal burst, which is like a shock of your cast-off energy. And you can focus that to do cool things. Okay? So, Tom McGuire has these, like, tidal bursts, and she can't control them. And so she has been using Ren as, like, a focusing prism to absorb her, like, psychic freakouts to zip it into Rin's body, which is, like, incredibly painful and violent to the child. Whoa. And, and so you can kind of piece this together, and I was like, look, this is, like, go. this is bad. <laughs> you can't do this. And, and Tom McGuire's like, look, this is very important. This is, like, the way that I control my problem. Um, I, I'm going to have to take this kid back by force. And I was like, listen, if you try to do that, I'm going to go tell the cult of the changing god that you are a cast-off. Ooh. And that's going to, like, screw with your whole deal. Cause the, yeah, it's really going to ruin your exactly, enterprise. Because they will not leave you alone. And the threat of that was so brutal that she was like, okay, fine. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, and then, importantly, she teaches me title focus. Just out of the goodness no, of her heart? No, under the threat of me telling the, cha- the oh, changing wow. So I, like, kind of push my luck. And so title focus is basically... It's the... Um, like delve back into your memory of this game. Oh, yeah, okay. so it allows you to rethink things, or you know, to to go back into your like changing god brain and pull things out. And I actually used it. it this is like your mind exactly. palace. And so I used it in this episode to do something. Um, that I'm curious right. if, if how you did it. Okay. But, uh, so that's kind of all the stuff that's in this region. Um, there are a couple things that happen in this in another place we went to called the underbelly um mm-hmm. so number one you can go in there and you can talk to a guy like and this is just pure plot you can talk to someone called the map maker who just mm-hmm. knows maps and he legit is like hey i know where matt kina is uh if you want to mm-hmm. find matt kina you just got to tell me how to get to the changing god's sanctuary good luck yeah and so there's all kinds of people that we meet in here uh, did you meet Varanoth? I did not meet Varanoth. I, um, yeah, who is okay. Varanoth? You gotta talk to Varanoth later. We'll bring okay. it up. Varanoth is one of the funniest, it's like the genocide, right? It, it's like a character with a lot of, I mean, the genocide's not funny, but uh, it's mm-hmm. a character with a lot of, like, uh, humor to it, uh, and interesting stuff. Okay. So we'll talk about it in another episode. Did you meet Folsom? I'll remember that. I did. That's how I got to the map maker. Actually, oh, okay. I went to Folsom first. I was told, "Hey, um, I know Folsom is trying to solve this mystery," and I, that's how I got to the Matkina. Oh, uh, okay. Well, tell me about your Folsom mm-hmm. quest then. Yeah, so Folsom is attempting to solve a series of murders, and uh, one of the people he wants to talk to is Matkina, mm-hmm. right? And this, these, I like, this is a real classic Gygaxian area. It is. It's got a central conflict happening between, like, two factions. Um, the uh, the Stitcha um, and kind of these fish people. What's the name of their species? Uh, they're, like, agendered fish people. No, they're not fish people. They're, like... Um well, that's how they're referred to by the oh. Stitcher, because they maybe they have scales. They might that might be. Oh wait, so you're talking about the Stitcher? 
Yeah, no, the Stitcher, and then the separate, like, the three people on who are acting on behalf of Sages. Oh, that's right. They, yeah, they are, like, cephalopods. Like, they're yeah. kind of elephants, right? That's kind of the, the feeling uh, I got it, from I, it. I, maybe I get, maybe that's the, the aim. So, the Stitcher are, like, so these are the two things kind of happening in this area, and I completely ignored uh, the Foreman quest, right? Mm-hmm. No, or not, Folsom, okay. rather. I, I kind of ignore the fulsome quest and, and like I'm like Matt Keen is what I want. If I can solve the fulsome quest later or like during this process, I'll try to do that. But the central conflict is this like in the top northern north uh, eastern part of the zone, the Stitcha are like these big old hulking kind of like umber hulk type yeah. things that are electrical. Yeah, they are umber hulks with the uh, with the serial number filed off. <laughs> yeah. And they are they're just digging away, and Sages is trying to stop them because uh, they're they're digging in places they're not supposed to be. They're in danger in the whole town. There's going to be a cave-in Yeah, or so like all these buildings in that we saw in the rubble uh, in Cliffside. It is caused by, you know, basically sinkholes. Yeah, that are being caused by the stitch of digging too close to the city, basically. Um. So one of the representatives of Sages asks yes. me, "Hey, can you can you help us out here?" And I say, "Sure." Um, and you can go and talk to this one particular Stitcher, and you, it's like very rough, um, kind of sign languagey. But you can pull from your previous memories to figure out because, like, as a cast off, I guess you have access to the collective memories of reincarnated. Uh, versions of the changing god. Well, I, suppose, I think it's just in that, a limited like, form that you that the changing god always has all of these memories, right? It's just yeah. you, like when you are uh, dropped off, basically when the changing mm-hmm. god leaves your body, it like uh, resets your body into zero, right? You don't. You just have yeah. a general feeling of who you are. Um, and you have to kind of live your life for yourself. And we're going to meet a bunch of characters through the rest of the game that are, are dealing with that kind of existential problem. But yeah, I think the idea yeah. is that there's just like of that big changing God memory. There are all these like blueprints and uh, impressions of memory that if you think real hard, arr, if you think real hard, you can summon up part of it. Yeah. So I'm able to summon up how to speak stitch up oh, and I couldn't No. You couldn't. Oh, I got I, lucky. I couldn't do it, and so I. So that's why what I ended up using my title surge stuff for. Title focus ah. is that you can do it with that. I that's see. Kind of the backup strat. So you were able to. You were able to like get get the backup yep. strat. I don't know what I would have done otherwise, right. but um, so. I talk to them, and they're basically like, "Hey, there's this nice electricity in these rocks, and we gotta eat." And I know that the, yes. you know, the people here are like upset because their houses are getting, you know, you know, collapsed or whatever. But who told them to build their houses on our tasty rocks? That seems like a them problem. Mm. And you know what? When he says that, I was like, "You got a point, <laughs> Stitcher. You got a point, Umberholt guy. Yeah, that's that's probably correct. Um, whatever." Right. And I asked them. So I, I talked to the mapper, and the mapper told me, hey, I'll tell you where Matkina is, but you got to tell me uh, how to, you know, you need to be able to be able to, like, describe to me this this place called the Changing God Sanctuary, yeah. right? So I asked the Stitcher, hey, would you please, uh, you know, take me to the Changing God Sanctuary? And the Stitcher are like, no, that is, you know, privileged information. you got to have top secret clearance for that. Um, not even for money will I mm-hmm. do that. 
So I just walk away. There is a, and the way I figure it out is there's actually a stitch of corpse in the very southeast of the map huh. that has been, un- so I use my might to like dig it out from the oh, rubble. And I talk to a few people. I'm like, hey, I need to like dig and the stitch aren't doing anything. And they're like, oh, you better like build a digging machine. And because I've already been around the area of the underbelly, there's kind of a, like a very is it inspired steamworks, steampunky area in the north uh, west yeah. of the map. So I head up there, and there is a master foreman who is also kind of like stuck in time. Immobile. The master foreman Issue- is one of the best characters in any of these. Games. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic, and actually, I, I, I feel like I missed out. The first thing he yells at you is to get to work. If you get to work, if you, like, start doing labor after he does that, you get two might pull. Huh. You just get plus two. Um, but anyway, I tell him, I, nobody tells me what to do, so I don't mm-hmm. do that. Um, and, uh, and I say, hey, I need to make a digging machine, and we, like, we talk about it for a while. And he says, oh, you're going to have to pay me for all this, like, material necessary to build the digging machine. And I was like, well, what about this stitcher corpse? And they just, like, rig me an automated stitcher. They, like, take the corpse, and it's just, like, half robot and just does what I say. Did you did you talk to the Master Foreman about, like, his whole deal? About his yes. history? I know that he was, like, there for the siege, right? Yes, so they've been there forever. Like, they've mm-hmm. been down in here... Forever? Okay, so let me blow your mind. Okay. The impression that I got... You remember the story uh, about digging the sanctuary? In your yeah. mind from the tutorial? Very beginning, yeah. We were like, oh, this is a really good place. It's co- it's protected by all these glyphs and whatnot. So he... when So when you talk... You talk through the master... Oh my foreman. god, he was the guy? Yeah, so when you talk to the master foreman... He's like, our God put us here. And, you know, I don't work anymore, but that's okay, because that's what our God's, you know, if I were repaired, that would be going against what our creator wanted us to do. We've been here. We don't know why we're here. And if you remember in the tutorial, she is saying things about, you know, the kind of um, choice you make in the tutorial is like to give them shielding or to give them a better mind or things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So you are, the changing god was the creator of these robots that are just doing stuff in the foundry now, but he originally created them to create the sanctuary. Mmm. Isn't that cool? That's cool. That's very cool. So you got a, you got an automatic robot. Yeah, how did you, uh, how did you do I the digging? The, did you convince the... The, the Stricka, Stitcha, whatever they're called. Um, how did you convince so them? So I talked to the government and I talked to the Stitcher. I learned their language. I went up to Cliffside and talked. There's a wounded Stitcher up there. I talked mm. to him. I figured out that he uh, he couldn't dig. His claws were, were uh, malformed. So he couldn't dig and so I like brought him back all the way down. I got him rescued basically. Um, and then I think I just negotiated the... I don't remember the exact steps I took to do it, but I just negotiated a peace treaty, basically, between the Stritcha and the government. And I asked huh. the Stritcha to just dig a little bit deeper, and they were like, okay. I was like, oh, the wow. government will leave you alone if you do that. They're like, alright, fine. Job. Sounds good. 
Yeah, I wasn't able to get directly to the Changing God Sanctuary. I was only able to dig to the egg chamber. Yes. And then I had to sneak through the egg chamber to get to the Changing God Sanctuary. I didn't, uh, so... Basically, my my course of action got them to move just deeper underground, and so they mm. evacuated the egg chamber. And so I got teleported uh, to like the very end of the egg chamber, and then I just walked through it. Yeah, mine was an entire crisis situation. The entire stealth portion was in yes, crisis. Yes, that is the way. I remember having done it that way before, when I played this game before. Boy, it, it takes does. a while. It takes a long time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm sneezing. I'm going to leave that in. Little, just so you know that we're human over here. Um, mm-hmm. But so, yeah, so we go down there, and uh, this is just the tomb from... From Planescape, Planescape Torment. Torment right? um, it's like a laboratory. There's some mirrors that you look in, and each mirror, like, does a different thing. One just straight mercs you. It didn't summon any gremlins or anything? Well, one also summons gremlins. I had... But another just, like, straight up cuts your head off. I got off. a bronze sphere out of one of them. I got one Harkening of those, back, too. But I didn't open it yet, so I don't know what's in it. Ooh. Um, I got a bronze sphere, and uh, I some gremlins came out and attacked me, and I died, and it respawned me outside of this chamber, and I was like, I don't, I don't care about going back. <laughs> so mm. I didn't go back. Um, uh, and one just teleports you to the clock. Oh, that actually might be... I might have killed the gremlins and got teleported back to the clock. Yeah, and uh, but the big there's also a very big. Did you see the mural in here? Uh, I did, but I don't remember what it's of. What was the mural of? It was deeply disturbing. It was of the. That's all I remember. It was like of the changing god, and it was kind of macabre. Mm. Yeah, I didn't. I imagine there's some storytelling in that bronze sphere, but we'll have to wait for another episode. Uh, but yeah. after that, I just went to the map maker and I'm like, well, here it is. Good luck with those gremlins down there. <laughs> And then after after that, uh, he's like, yeah, I know where it is, but I don't know how to get there. But I just went to my little automatic digger, and they just dig, dug me right to Makina. I asked the Stricka, the Stricka that was still there. I said, hey, mm. can you uh, take me to this location? And, you know, I showed him the map, and he said, yeah, sure, whatever. So similar, similar strategy. Then we found Makina, and her whole deal is that she... Well, her whole deal might need to wait till the next episode. I feel like I, I don't want to leave the leave our audience with with uh, with too many unanswered questions. Mm, okay. Well, we're gonna start next episode with Metkin's whole deal. Um, the thing, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess the thing that she asks us to do does does take a little while to walk through. Um, yeah. So yeah, so we'll start next episode with Metkinna. Uh, you can find us on Twitter.com at Range Touch. Uh, you can find us on Patreon if you look down in the description below. If you like these episodes and you like what we do here, think, consider supporting us for as little as a dollar a month. For $5 a month, you can uh, hear a, a completely different podcast where we just talk about whatever. Uh, this month's podcast, we probably talked for a full 35 minutes about uh, Magic the Gathering decks. So if that sounds fun, um, do it. Consider supporting us, too, because uh, we're going to go to uh, Grand Prix Atlanta in the next couple weeks, and we're going to produce some content around that. So uh, if you want to support any of that stuff, that's expensive. Uh, I know that I've spent uh, some dollars on a deck at this point. Uh, Boy, how you have, too. So uh, anyway, we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, we'll do a podcast and whatnot about that. Um, 
other stuff, you can always listen to Game Study Study Buddies, the the Range Touch podcast about uh, reading academic game studies books and then telling you all about them. That's with me and Michael Lutz. Um, and we got t-shirts coming soon. I keep promising these and saying they're coming out. They are coming out soon. There's just this process of going back and forth with proofs and making sure that they are exactly what we want to be making. But that yes. will be happening soon. If you don't do that and you order them, the the company may well send you a shirt made out of linguine. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but that's not a fun too much thing linguine. to do. You can't even eat it. In the you winter. Know? In the winter yeah, time. Do that. Too heavy. You want soups. <laughs> you want light soups. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the end of episode 55. Ciao.